0: Hey, Questions Jesus Asked, that is the series that we've been in and that we're wrapping up today. Man, we are killer sermon series namers, aren't we? Like, questions, geez, it's about questions Jesus asked, and so we named it, Questions Jesus Booyah! <laughs> no, I'm just teasing a little bit. I helped create it. But, um, no, hey, I'm excited to, to wrap up today, and I hope, uh, I, I wasn't planning on bruising your feet, is what uh, Holly said, stepping on feet. wasn't planning on that. Um, But I'm always a little glad when that happens, to be honest. But no, today we are diving into Luke chapter 6, where Jesus asked a question that really should kind of stop us in our tracks, especially in the context that it's in. The question we're going to be getting to in a little ways is what credit is that to you? And what credit is that to do when you love people that already love you? And we're we're getting there in a little while, but it should kind of arrest you. Man, make you hesitate when he asks that question. But before we get there... This is what I need for you to do with me, okay? I need for you to to use your mind and use your imagination, and I need you to go all the way back, kind of like time traveling, all the way back to the start of the church, okay? So you are an Israelite, okay? You're an Israelite, and and all these things have just happened. Crazy things have just happened in your community. There was this guy that everybody was claiming was the Messiah, this guy that's going to save the world and install this kingdom that's going to last forever. You heard all these stories, but at the same time, the Romans just crucified him at, at the request of his own people. Like the Jews asked the Romans to crucify him. And yet your friends, your friends are coming to you and they're grabbing you by the shirt and they're telling you, Hey, this guy, he was the Messiah, but also he's alive. They crucified him, but this guy is alive. So they're grabbing you. And not only that, Jesus, it says in scripture that he appeared to over 500 people and he comes to you and you are one of the people that Jesus appears to. He appears to you. And in that moment, you believe, you become a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, and you are saved. You're saved. And then just a few short weeks later, Jesus says that he's ascending into heaven. He's ascending, but he's, he's going up there with a promise. He is going to send who? Anybody know? He's going to send Holy Spirit. He's sending the Holy. He says, it's for your advantage that I leave you. It's for your advantage that I go because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, your helper, this counselor. And so he goes and then guess what? You are there. Okay, you are there, new believer, you are there. When the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, it comes and dwells in the first believers for the very first time. And so then the apostles, they start speaking in a whole bunch of languages. So people are all around, they're hearing the gospel preached in their very own language. They start performing signs and wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit. They start doing the things that Jesus did. And during all of this, Thousands of people start coming to faith. Thousands of people start coming to faith in just a few short days. They're preaching the gospel, so many different languages, so many different signs, miracles happening. Thousands are coming to faith. And the thing that most marked this community was love. This love for all people, rich or poor, motley crew or upstanding citizens. Man, they're all on this equal level. There was love and hospitality for all. It said people, people were selling their property, selling their things so they could feed one another, so they can feed all others, any who had need. And you're part of this amazing, diverse community Man, apostles are, are getting arrested and putting in prison. But guess what? An angel is breaking them out. An angel is breaking them out of prison because no church, no 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 jail or no man can contain this church. And then eventually they get this guy named Stephen. Stephen, they put him in charge of, of a portion of this ministry. And scripture says he's full of grace and truth. And, and he's, he's proclaiming and he's performing these signs and telling about this gospel. Eventually he gets arrested. He gets put in jail, but he just preaches this awesome sermon. to his arresters to his jailers he preaches it to those hearing his case and you know what they do they stone stephen stephen does not get broken out of jail stephen is killed for his faith and then scripture says heavy persecution broke out against the church heavy persecution broke out against the church then Jews hated and persecuted Christians. The believers are scattered. You're scattered. You don't see the people that you used to saw when you first came to faith anymore. You're scattered all over Israel and into the neighboring towns. Some of your friends you hear, your family members, they were beaten and they were killed for their faith. People are dying. And then eventually, eventually, Rome catches on. Rome starts hating and persecuting Christians. And they start cruelly torturing them, killing them in evil ways. Man, they would just kill them for the fun of it at parties, at parties that they had. They would put Christians in the Colosseum and they would let wild animals in there and just see which Christian would survive the longest, cruelly torturing and killing them. This went on for years and years and years and years until eventually Christianity was legalized. So it was like one out of many religions. It was legalized. And then 70 years after that, this guy by the name of Theodosius, What a name. Theodosius, he made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. And then one of the most tragic things happened. One of the most tragic things happened. Many Christians then became like their oppressors. And they began fighting and using military force and violence to convert people to Christianity. As a result, many people died that didn't know Christ. And others, others took on the name Christ, but had no idea what he was like. There was this community once that was marked by love and hospitality. But now what they saw was just hate and hostility. Our culture today still very much views hostility as strength. Hostility as strength, bucking up to somebody. You want to prove your strength and your wits over against another person. How many people watched football last night? Yeah? Any hands? Yeah. Literally a sport where you hit somebody with your entire body, okay? Like hostility is viewed as strength. And it doesn't always have to be physical, okay? And I know that's just a game, you know, but, but hostility doesn't always have to be physical, okay? It can be laughing at another person's expense. Okay, laughing at another person's expense or making fun of them, sarcasm, like these are what Saturday Night Live and the late night shows, these are what they are made of. Making fun of somebody, laughing at another person's expense. It can be making fun of somebody's worldview, the way they see the world, the things they believe, the things they act upon, making fun of it, slandering it. It can be neglecting people or shaming people, humiliating them, canceling them. And it's especially in these ways and I think we can all see it feels like American culture is becoming increasingly hostile toward Christianity. Like Christians never get painted in a good light in the media. It's only the stories where we've messed up big time that we get in the news. It's becoming increasingly hostile toward Christianity. And yet at the same time, sometimes I feel like we deserve it. Why? Because a lot of times we respond in exactly the same way. We respond with equal hostility. We respond when we're being made fun of by making fun of them more. We respond by humiliating and shaming and gossiping and slandering them, making fun of their beliefs, showing the, the faultiness in their arguments. We respond the same way. The only difference is that we do it in the name of Jesus. As a result, many people are hearing the name of Jesus and have no idea what he's like. People are being met with Christians They have no idea what Jesus is like, this man they claim to follow. Or if he's like his followers, they just don't want him. They don't want that. One of my unbelieving friends, he said to me that he does not want to go to heaven if it's going to be filled with the types of Christians he sees on social media. Guys, that cannot be true. That cannot be so. We have to look like Jesus Christ. And yet people are hearing the name of Christ really don't have any idea of what he looks like. People are hearing the name of Christ. They hear of the love of Christ, but apparently it's just loving people that are already like you, that agree with you. It's just loving people that already love you back. That's nothing special. That's normal. And that's what Jesus is going to teach in our passage today teach that loving people that already love you back is normal. So what is different about these Christians? What is different about these Christians? And, and before we dive into the text today, let me also say this, because we're going to be really talking about love and the love that Christians display. Let me also say, Jesus was never afraid to speak truth. Okay? He was never afraid to speak the truth. But the thing about Jesus is that he would speak truth and then he would go to dinner with the people that truth was directed at. Okay? Jesus would speak truth And then it was truth and love. It was truth and companionship. It was truth and then it was compassion. Truth and the befriending. And so sometimes I think as evangelical Christians, like we have done a good job, sometimes obnoxiously so, of speaking truth. But where we need to step up is love, especially that Jesus love that we're about to see in this passage. And so this is where we are in Luke chapter six, starting in verse 27. And Jesus says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, if someone steals from you, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone just takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. This is the Jesus way, a hard way. This is the Jesus way. And what he's doing right here, he's speaking to a Jewish audience, okay? And so at this point in his ministry, there, there are several Jews who are starting to follow him, that are starting to like him and follow in his ways, but there are still several Jews who are opposed to him, trying to catch him at everything that he says, and yet, In this passage, the common enemy of Jews who who both follow Jesus and Jews who are opposed to Jesus, the common enemy is the Romans. Rome had come into this land. They had come into Israel. They had conquered this nation. And then they continued to tax the life out of them by turning Israel's own people against them. They would get Israelites and turn them against their own brothers and sisters and families. And they would tax the life out of them. And this was done by performing a census. Man, over and over again, they would perform this census. It was this, 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 this constant counting and recounting so that they could tax all people and property available. And so Rome would implement this, this land and resource seizure. They would extort money from people. Soldiers would, would make false accusations against people to get even more money. The tax collectors, with their own brothers had turned against them, were taxing them way more than they should. These people were their enemies. And yet... Israel, Israel had a history of God heroically delivering them from their enemies. Okay, God heroically delivering this people, Israel, from their enemies. Man, they remember the stories of God hurling the Egyptians into the sea. That's what Scripture says. They were praying to God, God, would you hurl these Romans into the sea? Deliver us, God. Install your kingdom. And so with this news of a new Messiah. Man, the Christ who had come, that's what they wanted. Somebody that's going to hurl and destroy and defeat these Romans. And yet Jesus, his mode for expanding his kingdom, these people that that hated them, they abused them, they stole from them. Jesus' mode of expanding his kingdom, of delivering his people from those people, their enemies. He said, love them. Love them. The kingdom is here. Love them. Guys, Christian love is retaliation. Christian love is how we retaliate. We retaliate by loving others. To those who treat us, we love them. Man, to those who slander us, we love them. We retaliate by loving and praying and blessing them now praying you might think praying th- this isn't the type of prayer that that I see sometimes on socials like when it, a, a comment section gets super heated two people just going at it and, and and arguing about their different views and beliefs on things and eventually the christian in there just goes well i'll be praying for you you need you need jesus i'm praying that you find him okay this is not prayer as a way to spite people like their inferiority because they're not christians it's not prayer as a way to spite okay and it's also not prayer as like a way to curse people. Like, God, pour out your wrath of them. I pray that they, they trip on a, going up an escalator. This constant falling, you know? You get that picture? It's not prayer as a way to spite or prayer as a way to curse. But we pray and we bless in the context of love. That means we pray blessings for our enemies. That they would recognize who these blessings are from. Like, like Dwight L. Moody He would pray for the unbelievers in his life that God would reveal his love to them in a way that they can perceive and then receive. That they can recognize God's work and then receive his love. We pray and bless in the context of love. Okay, but what does love mean? What does love mean? Sometimes we think that loving people is the same thing as not being mean to them And therefore we love them because we're not mean to them. Like I love my neighbors. How do you love your neighbors? By respecting their space and never saying a word to them. I love those guys. They're good people. I love them from a distance. I tolerate, I tolerate your independence. I love you. Guys, Jesus did not love any one of us from a distance. Jesus has not loved us from a distance and he's calling us to love others the same way. The love that he's talking about, if you've been in church, you've probably heard the word agape, agape love, and essentially what that is, it's love in action. Okay, it's not just this feeling that we can try and muster up for people we don't like. It's love in action. It's choosing to see to the well-being of someone. Choosing to see to the well-being of your enemy, love in action. John Mark Comer, he's a pastor in Portland, Oregon. He defines agape this way. He says agape love the love that which we're supposed to love others, love our enemies. Agape love is a love of the will. It's when you bend your will to the good of another person, even if it's ahead of your own. It's when you will their well-being ahead of your own, even if it comes at great cost to you. Jesus loved us at great cost to himself. He gave himself up for us. And then he tells us to do the same thing for our enemies. Give yourself up for them. Mistreatment, love. Insult, love. Slap in the face, love. Stealing, love. And then he says this in verse 31. He says, do to others as you would have them do to you. Hey, there there is a name for this verse. Does anybody know the name? Like, what is this called? Golden rule. Yes, you probably knew this even before you were a believer. You know why? Because the world has adopted this. Like the world, our public schools, our businesses, we have adopted this. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Do to others as you would have them do to you. The ethics of Jesus are the best. Okay, the world knows it. Everybody knows it. If you look at the life of Jesus, what he teaches, the ethics of Jesus are the best. The world wants the ethics of Jesus. You just don't want to be accountable to him. We just want Jesus... And his teachings in our own way, in our own timing, when it's convenient. No accountability, but yeah, it is a good way. He says, do to others as you would have them do to you. And so there's a bit of a pendulum in this passage, okay? Because first, we read about love uh, as a response. Like if somebody mistreats you, if they slander, if they steal from you, love as a response But then the pendulum kind of swings when he makes this statement because it's not just a response anymore. He's really saying, hey, as a general rule for life, as a golden rule for life, just treat others the way you want to be treated. Not just as a response, but always. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And so we're coming this way a little bit. It's not just a response that we have. You know, if somebody happens to be mean to you, I love them. No, always. Do to others how you would have them do to you. Keep reading. Let me say this. Maybe this is where truth comes in, okay? Like we talk about love and truth. Do to others how you would have them do to you. If you were on a path that ended in death, ended in a sheer cliff, a drop-off, and you would die... Would you not want somebody to come and tell you, hey, this path leads in death. This is where truth comes in. They tell you, hey, this way is going to end in death. But listen, we tell people that in order to save them, not to condemn them. Okay, we tell that to people in, uh, in order to save them, not to condemn, not to shove it in their face. But because we are concerned, we want them to have life. We want them to be saved, do to others as you would have them do to you. In verse 32, this is where our question comes in. If you love those who love you, if you love your family, if you love your friends, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. I like to think that I'm like a pretty good guy sometimes, like a pretty upstanding citizen, you know, because I love, I love my family. I love, I love my wife and my kids. I love my church. I love you guys. I love my friends. Like anytime my friends have babies or get sick, both of those seem to happen a, a lot of the time. And we, we will take a meal over to them and we look out for those people that we love, who love us back. And Jesus' question to me is, what credit is that to you? What credit is... He asked three times, what credit is that to you? The King James Version, it, it phrases that question. It says, what think have ye... What thank have ye? What thanks do you have? What thanks do you have? What credit is that to you? The word for credit and the word for thanks is the Greek word charis, which most often in our New Testament, in our Bibles, is translated grace. The question is what grace do you have? You think you're being gracious by loving those who love you? You think you're being like your father by just loving those who love you? Even sinners and unbelievers do that. You think you're being godly by just loving those who love you back. What grace is that on your part? So what's different then? What's different about the love of our father? What's different about God's love? God's love is given to those who don't deserve it. Christian love is unmerited. Christian love is undeserved. Christian love is unearned. When you love your enemy. When you love those who hate you. When you love those who don't deserve it. That's when you resemble your father. When you give grace to those who don't deserve it. That's when you resemble your father. Because grace is only grace if it's undeserved. Christian love is unmerited. Christian love is unearned. You prove yourself to be a child of God when you love those who don't deserve it. He says in the last two verses of our passage, verse 35, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He, God, is kind to the ungrateful and wicked be merciful just as your father is merciful and so we have the pendulum and now it's swinging even further okay because first we have love as a response then we have a general rule for life the golden rule for life just treat others the way you want to be treated but now we're moving even further because the qualification for love as a response is totally gone It's not just love for mistreatment. Love, love to those who hate you, who slander you, who slap you in the face. Love to those who steal from you. No, now it's, if your enemy is in need, lend to them. Go ahead and lend to them. Love those who hate you. Take the first step toward them. Love your enemy. Guys, Christian love is in pursuit. We take the initiative to actually and proactively love those who hate us. Christian love pursues people. It doesn't just wait on people. Christian love goes after people. I love the story of Rosaria Butterfield. Um, If you've been here for a little while, I know that we've shared her story before in here. But Rosaria Butterfield, she was a a professor of English and women's studies at Syracuse University in New York. And she was a lesbian in a relationship. They were living together and, and they hated Christians. Rosaria hated Christians. And why? Because she had only ever received hate from Christians toward her and her friends and her community. She hated Christians because that's all she ever saw from them. And so she wrote, an article that got published online and it was calling out the hypocrisy of Christians and she hated them. She, she called them out and said it's this, this religion of love and yet they hate, they hate her. They hate her. They hate her friends. Well there is this older pastor and his wife who saw this article and they weren't like personally attacked in this article. Okay, that She didn't name them by name. She wasn't calling anybody out. She was just calling out the group at large. They just saw this woman who is vehemently opposed to Christianity. So you know what they did? They invited her over for dinner. They invited her over for dinner. About every two weeks, she came over for a year and a half. And now years and years and years and years later, Rosaria Butterfield is a believer. She's a child of God. Because one Christian couple took the first step toward a person that hated Christianity, hated their God, they took the first step toward her. It was enemy love showing itself in hospitality, and it saved her. What broke down this thick wall of hostility, a thick wall of hostility between Rosario Butterfield and those seemingly arrogant, judgmental, unloving Christians, was food, it was a meal. Now, Rosario Butterfield, she's written this book with a beautiful title. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. The gospel comes with a house key and it's all about hospitality, missional hospitality, evangelistic hospitality and how it saves others, how it saved her life and through her so many others because one couple took that first step toward their enemy and loved her. Guys, God is asking us to do perhaps one of the hardest things that we will ever do, to actually love those who have Hurt us, to actually love those who hate us. This might be loving and continuing to bless your boss who takes advantage of you. This might be praying, praying for the well-being of, for God's intervention in the life of that family member who has abused you. This might be praying and loving, continuing to be faithful to the spouse who has neglected you, It might be loving your friend who has used you. It might be praying and loving your neighbor who constantly critiques you and has signs in their yard that you just totally disagree with and they annoy the mess out of you. And yet you're told to love them, to pursue them, to love those who couldn't care less about you, to love those who might even take advantage of the love that you display toward them. Love them. Love them despite the fact that they have never and probably will never earn it. Why do we do this? Because this has already been done for us. This kind of love has already been showed to us. It's being poured out in our hearts for those who believe. Even right now, Colossians 1 says that once you and I, you and I, we were alienated from God because of our evil behavior. We were enemies of God, Colossians says. We were God's enemies, but... But God, he demonstrates his own love for us in this, Romans 5. He demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were sinners, while we were his enemies. Christ died for us. Jesus died for us. God pursues sinners, us. God pursues sinners. God pursues us. He loves us. He initiates relationship with us. He makes us. He makes you and me, sons and daughters, family. And so now, likewise, we strive to love our enemies so that they too might become family of God. What's our reward? God. God himself living in his kingdom forever forever reigning. We are heirs in his kingdom. Like the question could be asked. It won't be asked in heaven because everybody will know, but the question could be asked, man, who runs this place? And you and I will be like, my dad, my dad, let me show you where he keeps his chariots or something, whatever, whatever he's got there. But, but that's what we'll say, man, the person that runs heaven, that's our father. The person that runs earth, that's our father. Everything he has is yours. Our father, we get to reign with him eternally and there will be no more enemies. Only brothers and sisters who have been won by his love and his mercy displayed through us. Be merciful like your father is merciful. And I think right there too in that line is one of our big motivations. We get to be like our father. Be merciful like your father is merciful. We get to be like him. About a year ago, I asked my daughter, Charlie. I said, Charlie, what do you want to be when you grow up? Now, apparently, like, we put a bunch of pressure on our kids when we ask them questions like that. I've heard, I've read, you know, but I thought it'd be funny. And so then I I decided to ask her this question anyways. And and so I looked at Krista and I gave her this kind of look, which meant, hey, this is going to be funny. You know, watch this. And so I I said, Charlie, what do you want to be when you grow up? And was expecting, like, dinosaur or dragon or something amazing like that. And she said... Uh, maybe just like you, <laughs> it hurt. It hurts so bad. I like felt, I was sitting on a bench and I looked at Chris and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> for whatever reason, kids, kids want to be, especially the younger they are, kids want to be like their parents who love and care for them. Guys, be so convinced of your father's love for you. His care for you. Be like a kid, totally convinced of his dad's love for him. You strive to be like your dad, not to be rewarded or loved more, but for the mere fact of being like your dad. You get to be like him. Be merciful as your father is merciful. Love is how we retaliate. We retaliate with love. Man, who, who gets our love? Who receives it? Essentially, everyone receives it, but especially those who have not earned it. When do they receive our love? When do they receive it? Now, man, toward our enemies, let our love be the initiating shot. Let it be the first shot on the battleground. This is how we fight with love. I'm gonna ask you a question, and you can answer honestly. Does fighting with love like seem weak to you at all? fight with love, you know? Like, I'll be honest, like some of my, several of my brothers are, all of them except for one are here actually right now. And, uh, I grew up with five brothers. And so when I was younger, fighting with love definitely did not fly for me, you know, because was not going to work. Like if Jacob slapped me in the face, I was not about to fight with love. Okay. Is this weak? I want you to listen super carefully. Like if you have have missed the majority of what I've said so far, I want you to listen really carefully to these words by someone much wiser and braver than I am. These words were spoken by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in his address to Cornell College, October 15th, 1962. Listen so carefully to what he said. He says, We have come to the point where we are able to say to those who will even use violence to block us, we will match your capacity to inflict suffering with our capacity to endure suffering. We will meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will. We will still love you. We cannot in all good conscience obey your unjust laws because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. And so throw us in jail. We will still love you. Bomb our homes, threaten our children, and as difficult as it is, we will still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our communities after midnight hours. Drag us out onto some wayside road. Beat us, leave us half dead. We will still love you. Be ye assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. And one day we will win our freedom. We will not only win freedom for ourselves, we will so appeal to your heart and your conscience that we will win you in the process. And in his final words of this speech, he quotes Jesus Christ and he says, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, Pray for them that do spitefully use you. Is this weakness? Is this weakness? This, church, this is not weakness. This is the utmost bravery that I've ever seen, that I've ever read of. Man, this is not weakness. This is fighting the good fight. This is fighting the good fight of faith, pursuing love in the face of and for the salvation of those who hate you. Pursuing love in the face of and the salvation of your enemies. Man, true Christian love threatens evil. True Christian love, it threatens the evil at work in this world. Hatred does not threaten evil. Slander does not threaten evil. Sarcasm does not threaten evil. Love is what threatens evil. Get in this fight. But be warned. Be warned, because fighting this way is not necessarily safe. Dr. King was shot and killed less than six years after preaching and living this out. Jesus was nailed to a cross, crucified after only three years of preaching and living this kind of love. But what's their reward? What's our reward? God Himself living in his kingdom. He, our father, you as children, heirs, my dad runs this place, everything he has is yours. And enemies, a host of enemies who have been transformed into brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, one by our capacity to endure, suffer and love, even those who don't deserve it. Guys, this is the Christian life. Undeservingly, we have received the love of our God. We have not earned it, not merited it, and yet we receive that love, and now what we do is we give it. We give it to all those around us, and we give it to even those who don't deserve it. The Christian life is one of receiving and giving. And so this morning, maybe you've had a name come up in your mind for the past several minutes. You have the name of somebody in your life that you know needs this kind of love. This is the kind of love that changes an enemy into a brother or a sister into family of God and you know they need it. They've hurt you. They've hated you. They've slandered you. And yet you see the love of your father. You see the love of Christ and you know what you must do to love your enemy and maybe you just start by praying for them. Okay, praying for blessing in your life, praying that they would recognize who that blessing is from, praying that God will reveal his love to them through you in a way that they can perceive and then receive. Perceive and then receive. And after you start praying them for a a week or, or a month, maybe the next step then is you invite them over for dinner. And you share food with them. You share a meal with them. You go out to lunch and you pay for it. And you love your enemy. Enemy love showing itself in simple hospitality. It has saved so many people. You love your enemy. And yet this kind of love can also seem daunting. Like loving those who hate you. Loving those who totally disagree with you and make it known all the time. It can seem daunting if you have not first received love. If you have not first received the love of your father, listen, if you have not received that love, believed in Jesus Christ, know this, no matter what you have done, despite what you have done, despite what you have said, despite the thoughts you've had, all the things that you think make you dirty or sick, totally disqualified, Jesus would want nothing to do with you. Hear this. Jesus wants you. God wants you. God loves you and he proved it by sending his son to the cross to die a criminal's death, to die in our place so that we might not perish, but instead receive love and reign with him eternally in our father's kingdom. And So this morning, as the band starts to come up, I encourage you to use your connect card to respond this morning. If you know of a name you know of people that you need to give this love to, then on your connect card, I want you to write, give love. Give love. And we're going to be praying for opportunities for you to show the love of Christ to those who don't deserve it in your life. For you to show the love of Christ, for you to pursue others and love them with the gospel message. And maybe it does start with prayer, but you're committing to that prayer. You're committing to that love and you're saying, give love Or, if you have not received that love from your Father, you don't know it. You have not believed in Jesus Christ. I want you to write, receive. Receive love. What does it look like to believe, to surrender your life to Christ, to follow Him in this drastic way and loving your enemies? What does it look like? Man, I would love to speak with you. There's a host of believers in this room who would love to speak with you to talk to you about what it looks like to surrender, to believe, to receive that love from your Father who desperately wants you. So use your Connect card, write, give love or receive love. And during this next song, man, respond to the Lord and however He's leading you. And sometimes it is, we just need to come and get on our knees before the Lord as we're reminded of how He has loved us. And come get on your knees. Give thanks to your Father. Commit that you're going to give this love that you've already uh, experienced from him. You're going to give it to others. Get on your knees and pray. Or stand and proclaim this loudly that we want to be like our Father. We want to be more like Jesus. I'm going to pray. And you respond. As your Father's leading you. Let's pray. Lord, we give thanks because of the great love that has been made known to us, that has been poured out in our hearts because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, proving, God, that you love sinners. God, you want sinners, you want enemies to be transformed into sons and daughters and become family of God. And that's why we love others. That's why we love others, to see more lives transformed, more enemies become sons, daughters, family of God. God, may you more, make us more like your Son and give this love, constantly giving this love that we have received in abundance from you. Lord, I also pray for those who have not believed yet. God, who have not experienced that love, that today would be the day that they would know you, they would know your grace. Who would know your love. Lord God, this is the Christian life. This is the Jesus way. We receive and we give. We receive and we give. And to you be all the glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand, if you need to come kneel, come kneel.